This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today, we sing one spell. Twice. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we talk about the pale sun. And in the second casting, we discuss the order of weavers. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we discuss an aspect of the Invisible Sun RPG in detail. We're back on the Path of Suns, and we're talking about sun number six, the sun of death, the pale sun. Uh, so this is going to be the first time we're casting the careful gaze of the Grigori today. Um, boy, we're messing with our format a little bit, aren't we? Ooh. Grim foretelling of things to come. Uh, so we're, we're going to be talking about the pale sun today. Uh, last time we were in what we think of as reality. We were in the gray sun. And now we're moving on to death. So in the actuality, death actually, well, death does have a place. And it is located under the pale sun. So this is, I, I really like the pale sun. Uh, there, There's an article about it on the Kickstarter that gets into what the Pale Sun Realm is all about. And I think this one is pretty cool. This is where this is where ghosts go when they move on. And I think I'm I think I'm characterizing that correctly. So one of the things I was wondering about with Invisible Sun was how important is character death? In in an RPG like Dungeons and Dragons. Character death is something that just kind of happens when you're low level. Like your wizard with four hit points is going to get wiped out by goblins or something. Uh, and then you just make a new one. Uh, but when you have a an RPG that seems to be so focused on building up interesting characters for the players to use, well, for the players to play, characters that have arcs and storylines and things that you want to see to completion, what happens when they die? Like, would you want to play a character in a game where you've invested so much time into building up where you want that character to go just to have them, you know, get offed by an assassin at some point? How that? How would you feel about that? That sounds like something that's very 1980s RPGs. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, I, so I think um, Frivolous Death doesn't quite mesh with what Invisible Sun is trying to do. And there was a line somewhere in one of the Kickstarters that said that death isn't an ending. It's just a, a different state. And it turns out that some Vizlay, uh, probably other creatures as well, can simply just become more powerful in death than they were when they were alive. So, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff. So what we found out here is that when you die you're going to be going to the Pale Sun. You're going to go to the Pale Realm. However, you can travel back from the Pale Realm. So if you're dead, it doesn't mean you're gone forever. And the other interesting thing about this is that 
when you're dead, you don't necessarily have to go to the Pale Sun. You can just kind of hang out. Uh, and there are a couple ways that uh, Vizsla can do it. So let's let's talk real quickly about ghosts. So ghosts are, according to the Kickstarter article, ghosts are specifically spirits of the dead that are on their way to Pale. So it sounds like if you get killed in the actuality, you could continue playing as a ghost. And you can hang out and you can be part of the story still. So your character death, this might be part of a character arc that you're you're working on. So one of the things you could do is um, reanimate your corpse and stick around rather than going to pale. There are also some other things that happen with ghosts. Ghosts are not necessarily uh, spirits of dead Vizlay or dead people or dead... It's not quite animate objects, sentient objects, sentient creatures. Yeah, they're not, they're not the, uh, sentient creatures aren't the only things that can have ghosts that appear uh, in the actuality. Uh, it turns out that things can also have ghosts. So certain ideas could have ghosts. So something that is powerful and meaningful, if it were to die off, it could have a ghost. So I think when we talked about uh, the theory of forms last time, wait, it wasn't last time. When we talked about theory of forms a while back, we talked about um, this very base idea for any given concept. I think our big example was the form of a chair. So let's, why don't we revisit this form of a chair real quick? Because form of a chair, uh, well, <laughs> the, um, the organization of uh, form. What did we call them? I think like the maintainers of form or something like that. Something like that. We're going to have to look this one up because uh, we're going to have to use that at some point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's say the maintainers of form have put together this concept of what a chair is. This is the true form of chair. And they went through and they, you know, put in the regulation in Saturine that said all chairs need to conform to this form of chair because this is the true form. Uh, and as we discussed, we learned that form is simply something that somebody discovers by, what, being very introspective? Yeah, through, through an act of reason, uh, and preferably sort of, sort of pure reason and access to this realm of idealized forms. Okay, so you could take the, uh, the uh, established form of chair, but perhaps in 20 years you have a new a new thinker who comes along into the order of forms. Uh, I've already forgotten what we call them. We're going to have to come up with some good name. So the the custodians of form, they, they were thinking like, this is what chairs are. And 20 years later, they say, hey, we got this new hotshot. He's, you know, way into really evaluating the forms. And he's come up with this new form of chair. So we're going we're gonna to change all the regulations and say that this is the true form of chair. So the previous form of chair, it dies. But since it's such a powerful idea, perhaps that, that idea, you know, has a ghost. And it hangs out. And, you know, you could find it in Under the Pale Sun. Under the pale sun. Another fun little thing that they, they make note of here is that... Uh, ghosts let's say the this ghost that we're talking about can fade into memory and then those memories can become ghosts so it's kind of like you have this endless cycle of 
you know, these thoughts and memories and things and people, they can die and they become they can become ghosts, but they can kind of persist in perhaps a more abstract version of what they once were throughout the ages. Yeah, so another example might be uh, if a building is destroyed in the actuality, a prominent building that people had emotionally invested in and thus had some sort of kind of concreteness in, in meaning, uh, that destroy, the building may be destroyed, but it might leave behind a ghost of the building. And that ghost would be eventually traveling to the Pale Realm. Right. Uh, so once, once you get to the Pale Realm as a spirit, well, once, once your ghost gets there, uh, then you become more substantive in Pale. Like, you, you're going to go there, and that's where you live now. Like, you could set up a permanent residence in Pale, it sounds like. There's one other interesting thing that was mentioned here. I guess there's probably a few. I'm going to have to get back to the Wardens. But, so Pale is a place that spirits are going to go. But there is rumor that says there is a land beyond Pale where the dead will go when they eventually pass on. So it sounds like the Pale Realm could be thought of as, I guess, purgatory. Maybe it's not quite purgatory because the ghosts can hang out in the actuality in other realms for a while. But the Pale Realm is going to be a place where spirits are hanging out. And I guess if a spirit decides that they're done with this life and they want to sail west... Uh, they can go out and head to this rumored land and, you know, pass on from the actuality. It reminds me a bit of Dante's Paradiso, uh, which one of the one of my frustrations in reading it many, many years ago, so my, my memory may fail me, was that, uh, of course, it would be heretical to say any part of heaven wasn't awesome. So the mm. book mostly consisted of going to an area of heaven and learning how awesome it was. And then learning that, oh, well, if we go up to the next level, it's even more awesome. And then we can go up to the next level, and it's even more awesome. So uh, all, of the, all of the levels were awesome. It's just some were more awesome than others. Paradiso, is that the, like, the follow-up to Inferno? Or is, it's a trilogy, isn't it? Right, there's three. So there's Inferno, Purgatorio, and, and Paradiso. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, yeah, I'm only familiar with uh, Inferno. Yeah, so it could be something like that. That hey, well, if you're if you're satisfied with what you've done here in the actuality, like hey, there is a place that the dead can go uh, that the living aren't supposed to know about. Basically, if you're alive, it's a truth that you're not going to find out. It, it reminds me a bit also of Peter Jackson's grossly underrated movie, The Frighteners. Oh, The Frighteners is great. Yeah, so in the Frighteners, if the ghost doesn't go up the glowing uh, magical tunnel, they just hang out as a, as a ghost in our world. Uh, and uh, I think there's something about like 24 hours later, they have a second chance. That, 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 but anyway, so you, you could hang out. Passing into the pale is like going into that tunnel and moving into a mm -hmm. different world. Except uh, in this case, there is another tunnel that takes you from that world into yet another world. Uh, or at least there's a rumor of such. There's a rumor of such. And also, you could come back from this pale world that you did go to when you died. Right. Whether you can come back and actually, you know, become corporeal again, or if you're going to persist as a spirit from here on out, I guess that remains to be seen. Though if I was trying to somehow take advantage of the spirits of the pale, 
uh, say if I was turning them into uh, Soylent Pale Nuggets or something, uh, what mm. I would do is spread a rumor that you could move on from this realm to from the Pale to the even paler realm uh, so that no one would ask questions when people disappear from what should be a permanent and final state. That's a pretty good plot hook. Oh yeah, spirits are disappearing from the Pale Realm at a, a strange rate. Where are they going? Well, we hear that there's a better place to go. It's either very good news or very bad news, and your job is to find out which it is. Yeah, I can imagine who might task you with something like this. Uh, we can go and talk about the Warden of, well, the Warden of Death, or the Monarch of the Dead. Uh, her name is uh, Empress Zhlebe. So how would you pronounce X-J-A-L-L-A-D? Zajalid? Either Zajalid or I might I might say, because both X and J can sometimes be H's uh, phonetically. It might just be Halad. Okay, Halad. Anyway, it's a, it's a made-up word. We can pronounce it however we want. Yeah, we can. <laughs> uh, Halad sounds pretty good. I, I don't I don't mind that one. But the Empress, uh, Empress Halad might uh, task you with finding something like that. Like, hey, somebody is spreading rumors, like false rumors of the land beyond the Pale. And she, she is noted as taking an active role in the realm. And this is much different than the other wardens that we've talked about who have either been, you know, kind of aloof or missing or just, you know, like hanging out and doing their own thing. Uh, the Empress here, she has a feudal system of vassals, and she's fighting a war with the Nightside Warden of the Pale Sun, who goes by the name Queen Fazramir. And we'll talk about her in a little bit, in a few episodes. We're, we're coming up towards the end of the Path of Suns here, and then we're going to have to head back. Come right back through the Nightside. Uh, this sounds like a, almost a setting in and of itself. We could imagine entire campaigns taking place in this war uh, under the under the pale sun. Uh, it's very evocative. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it's got a different feel than what we know about Saturine, which to me felt like a very metropolitan sort of setting. And this might, you know, strike more of a, a fantasy feel, which that's kind of cool. Again, it reminds me of Wraith the Oblivion, which I've mentioned before. Uh, in that case, the realm of, of, the, of the wraiths, or the ghosts, uh, was a guild-based system of city-states. Mm -hmm. and That's not far removed from a feudal system of vassals. So you could, I could see some connections between the, the, the two. Given how much that we've been talking about these old White Wolf games, do you think uh, this is just Monty Cook's like, White Wolf D20 version 2? I do. I do not. Th th that may be one of the reasons why the emphasis is not on the uh, the uh, gray sun, because the gray sun is a lot like a World of Darkness game, mm -hmm. and so the emphasis is on the actuality, which I think will help distance it from the World of Darkness games. Uh, and since he's already written a World of Darkness game, uh, you know he's, he doesn't need to do that again. <laughs> so, do we have anything else that we want to touch on with the Pale Sun? I think this is, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, stories can connect uh, the, the close connection between the Pale Sun and the other suns, though we still don't know how all these suns connect, uh, yeah. does create a lot of story potential. Uh, and that's that's exciting. And this, can this won't necessarily just be the one-off game you play to go save the paladin 
uh, who's been killed and go, you know, gather their souls so they can be resurrected and what can be a really cool but one-off sort of story. Uh, the Pale Sun can be a continuous influence on the game. Ghosts can be just a, a part of kind of every session. Um, and it can be integrated presumably just as much as the green or the blue or these, or these other suns. And it uh, helps to emphasize how diverse the setting of the Invisible Sun and the Path of Suns is. One question that I'm looking forward to getting the answer to is traveling between suns. Because the... So the dead travel to the Pale Sun. But my impression is that Vizle can travel between the suns. So if the dead are inclined to make their way there and Vizle can go there, like, what's the distinction? Like, why... Why wouldn't Vizle be interested in traveling to the Pale Sun for any specific reason? Yeah, and we don't know. So that those are the sorts of questions uh, we will have to kind of wait for, the, maybe even wait for the whole game to get uh, answers to. Yeah, so that is that is our overview of the Pale Sun. And we only have, uh, let's see, uh, the Red Sun and the Gold Sun left on the light side. And then the Invisible Sun. And then the invisible sun, then we work our way back through the through the dark side. So yep. we are making progress along the path. Yeah, so next time we're talking about demons, I think. Uh, the, the next time we talk about a sun, we will be talking about the red sun, and I believe there is a demon or two. Excellent. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we discuss an aspect of the invisible sun RPG in detail. In this segment, we're talking about the Order of Weavers. So the Order of Weavers is one of the order options available to characters uh, in the Visible Sun. Previously, we've talked about the Vances who memorized spells, and those spells took up a space within their capacity, and they had a little game to figure out how they're going to choose spells that can fill out their magical capacity. We talked about Makers who cre- who channel their magic through the process of creating objects, uh, and those objects then become foci for their for their spells. And we talked about goetics, who summon creatures, demons, angels, uh, and the like, uh, in order to uh, create spell effects to serve various purposes. Uh, with weavers, we get to a, a, an entirely new form of magic. So each of these is a different way that players interact with magic. Uh, and so while all the player characters cast spells by, in some definition, weavers have their own unique flavor and their own unique method for manipulating magic to achieve their effects. So uh, as the uh, Kickstarter update and the video uh, have discussed weavers, weavers cast spells, or I should say they create magical effects, through combining different elements in which they specialize. So they get qualities uh, from the world in which they uh, and and they can combine these qualities and weave them together to achieve their desired effect and do so in a free form way rather than in the more prescribed uh, spell based system that the Vances will specialize in and with which people are probably more familiar in other RPGs. Yeah, constructing your own magical effects sounds interesting. 
It reminds me a lot of uh, Mage the Ascension. Is, is Mage the Ascension the, the, the original World of Darkness game? And Dude. Awakening was the second one? I can't remember. I get the two confused. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't play Mage. I played uh, some Vampire and a little bit of Werewolf. Well, whichever the first one was, which for now I will take as Mage the Ascension, the magic system was, was similar in that you had different domains. Uh, in that game, you could have like Mastery of Space, uh, or of an element or something along those lines. Uh, and your mastery of that particular domain let you manipulate that material to different degrees. And so you'd create spells by combining different elements. So mm-hmm. a, a fireball might be a combination of having elemental powers and having powers over projection or space. The ability to charm someone might require the combination of the mastery of sound and the mastery of mind or something along those lines. But the system was very open. You just you you invested in these different domains and then you had to make the case that oh uh, you, it, it wasn't that you necessarily had spells, though I think they had something called rotes that were very similar to spells, but they were just previously agreed to combinations of these elements that you knew that if you had two points in mind and one point in sound, that you could influence someone with your voice. Okay. Uh, there wasn't a master list necessarily that you had to draw from. The idea was if you had sound and you had mind you had those qualities and you could manipulate them and create novel effects as you played. Uh, and that sounds a lot like Weavers to me. That does sound a lot like Weavers. <laughs> uh, it was also a source of some frustration when uh, I was, when we, I don't think I ever played the mage. Uh, I know I read, we read the book. We talked about it. We bought a lot of the books actually, because they were a lot of fun, but we didn't play a lot in part because we weren't quite sure how to play with that system. Uh, mm-hmm. I think rightly, we, we really didn't trust each other uh, and ourselves to negotiate the parameters of these powers very well. Yeah, I can imagine how Mage the whatever uh, would have gone over in my high school group. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I can totally do Fireball. I've got Fire and, you know, some other things. So that should do like, you know, 10d10 points of damage, right? Yeah, and, and I think there were relatively clear rules, and again, this is decades back, so you kind of knew if you only had one one point in fire that you're probably only going to be doing the equivalent of one die of damage or something along those lines, or one point or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was really all of the, the non-damage effects that became really uh, unclear. So if you, you know, it, it might just be one point of damage, but uh, could you start a forest fire? Could you put out a forest fire? <laughs> you, mm-hmm. the, uh, I don't know. There's no the, the 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 rule book doesn't say forest fire equals four points. Um, so it, you, you have to sort of negotiate and reason it out uh, based upon some notion of fair play among the party. And this this was in college for us. Um, we knew just enough that we weren't likely to be able to do that for very long. In high school, we would have tried and failed. College. Instead, we read it and went, mm, this is probably going to lead to arguments. Let's just avoid that. Yeah. And read the books because they're cool. So that's what we did. I think I would characterize most RPGs, groups and games and uh, I guess tables at cons as fairly mature in how they used to play when I was uh, in high school and college where back then it was, oh, let's go in, go into a room. See monsters, kill monsters, continue. So 
I think that, I guess this is just my experience right now is I think that any group that I get into would be able to have that sort of negotiation and be able to talk through it and say, I think I can do this with these two threads and get this effect and have the GM say either yes or, well, we need to adjust this just a little bit or just, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. It's not working for me. I'm not worried anymore. Uh, I mean, uh, so I'm in the same boat. Um, I think the the groups I've been playing with lately won't have problems with this, uh, and maybe it's just because I'm I'm an old, and so I tend to play with old people, and <laughs> we just don't care enough to get into fights over this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so this doesn't really concern me about the game. It's just a memory I have, yeah. uh, and something that one would kind of want to be careful of and aware of for your individual groups. Uh, and you know, some people may not may get frustrated with this, uh, whether they're the pe- person playing it or the person the person who's not playing it. And you want to watch and monitor that. Yeah, I guess coming from it uh, as a player, uh, I had I had something that felt similar in the potential for abuse uh, when we were playing Shadowrun. I had a character who had a spell that allowed me to basically take over an NPC and make them do what I wanted. And uh, it felt like I could kind of break the game open and do whatever I wanted. How could that possibly go wrong? Yeah, how could it go wrong? It's like, well, okay, we're talking to this NPC, and the NPC isn't cooperative. I could cast this spell on them, and if it hits, then I can just make the NPC do whatever I need them to do. Like, yeah, just um, give me all of your banking information and... You know, tell me where all the fingerprint scanners are and, you know, help us get into, you know, this corpse building. And, hey, what do you think about that, GM? And, like, that that spell felt very powerful in comparison to just a, you know, just a mana bolt or something. And as a player, I'm concerned about being able to craft something that feels disproportionately powerful in comparison to what other people can do and being a weaver it seems like that opportunity might be there for me and i'm not sure how how you tackle that and still you know do something that is significant without it being broken yeah i'm a little less worried about it in this system uh than i would be with other systems and i'm, I'm going to assume something like the cipher system Mm-hmm. And since uh, I'm, I'm uh, si- and assume that anything you try to do will have a level of difficulty. Okay, and that's the case for whether you're using magic or you're trying to you know do something very mundane. And uh, at least that's the case in the cipher system. And every indication that's going to be the case with with uh, uh, invisible sun. I'm so. Since the, everything we do d- involves defining a difficulty and then rolling against that difficulty, this notion of sort of improvisationally defining difficulties is part of the enti- built into the DNA of the system. Mm-hmm. And so weavers aren't really doing that in uh, doing something that others aren't doing. They're just their magic is interacting with it in a, in a different way. Uh, it, it would be different in a game where the other orders uh, there if there spells were very very limited in what they could do like if it's something like a dungeons and dragons magic missile 
and you only had three spells, and they were, you know, magic missile, light, and sleep. Well, popular good spells, but they are very they define exactly what you could do. Yeah. Having a weaver beside that would be uh, a difficult uh, comparison. Uh, but I, in a system where, you know, even if Vance's do have spells that are likely to be much more limiting than the weavers, they have a lot of other abilities and other skills that are also vaguely defined. Uh, and every time you exercise them, you have to define the challenge. Another point would be the entry about weavers says that Weaving spells together is very taxing compared to the other traditional spellcasting orders. So maybe that would be how you limit the ability of the weaver compared to the Vance. Uh, because the Vance, they'll have a whole bunch of spells stuffed in their brain, and they can just cast them all and still have power left over. It's, you know, the Vance's choice is, you know, to expend power is to retain those spells yeah i've got magic missiles for days yeah for like you know three three days or something <laughs> right <laughs> a 15 minute work day you know yeah so maybe that's that's where the limitations of being able to just weave whatever you want to together are going to come in yeah it may be that they the, the it is more taxing uh whatever the resources are um you know, like uh, it draws more from your pools or whatever. Maybe it may just be more resource intensive. So you'll get to do really cool things less often uh, than some of the other uh, orders. That that may that may be the case. Though I I would worry a little bit about that as a balancing mechanism, uh, and I don't think they like the term balancing anyway. Like that's not what they're going for with this. Uh, but because what that suggests is you are giving up. That you have a really cool thing to do, uh, but you're going to be doing things as a smaller proportion of the time than the other characters. And that might not create a balance of spotlight, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is what they really want to balance. They aren't really worried about balancing. Like in the Cypher system, again, I'm, I'm kind of assuming it's like that in philosophy. Um, in the Cypher system, it's not so much that they care that every... Uh, character focus is balanced against every other character focus and everyone can do exactly the the same amount of damage. Mm -hmm. But they really want to make sure that everyone has something cool to do all the time. And so you can balance the spotlight across different characters and no one feels left out. And if if the way weavers are limited is that they can only act occasionally, uh, they will be by necessity left out. So I, I... I worry about that a little bit unless there's some sort of other compensating mechanism uh, in in the system that we just don't know yet. It does say that they can fall back on pre-made spells. So maybe they can weave some really useful and timely effects and then, hey, I can still contribute. I've got these basic spells that I can, you know, just throw out there. If nothing else, I've got my cantrips. Yeah. Yep. These dishes are clean. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that, that there's um uh, there's a lot there uh and we you know that we'll, we'll get to learn about but it's it's interesting to see and i've caught the interesting uh, meme from you <laughs> we will have to see and i think i'm excited to learn how all of these different systems vary and and how we have a game where everyone plays a mage basically mm-hmm. however every each of the orders is a very different kind of mage and uh, that it's fun to be almost playing, having different players playing different mages, uh, almost like playing different games at the same table. 
Uh, so yeah. you, we have our Mage the Ascension player as a weaver, and we've got uh, makers who are building stuff. Uh, and then you've got Vances, which are like D&D mages. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, we've got Goetics, which are like summoners from a variety of systems. And they're all quite different. Uh, and it's going to let people, I think, choose the type of magic that appeals to them. So for weavers, this is this will be for players who want to be really creative in what their spells do. And they want to be creating almost a new spell every time they, they uh, use their magic. As opposed to Vance's who really want to take a limited number of, of spells, but they want to be creative in how they employ these limited resources. So they have, they have a bunch of different tools. Uh, and they're going to show you how cool their magic is by using these tools in a different and impactful way each time. Whereas the weavers are like, I don't need no tools. I can, I can just use my hands, but I can do amazing things with my hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that metaphor works, but it's late and uh, I'm comfortable with it. Um, so what are you going to do for a, somebody who doesn't like casting spells and hates being told what to do? Uh, we might have an option for them, uh, but uh, they're, they're more likely to just uh, ignore us and go hang out with the, 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 uh, the, the wrong uh, group of, of mages, uh, wrong group of Vizlai out in Saturine and become some sort of apostate. But I think we'll have to leave that discussion for when we actually discuss the capital A apostates, which I guess is not the order of apostates because that would suggest an organization. Instead, no, no they order. are just the yeah, they are the punk Vizlai that are going to stick it to the to the Vizlai man. Yeah, so Troy, you can tell our player that I referenced her indirectly again. Yeah, so we've already discussed the inf- the orders uh, for which we have meaningful information. We may do we, we maybe should do a segment for symmetry, if nothing else, on the apostates. Uh, but in terms of our information on the apostates, it's, it's so limited. We we may we may skip that and su- and leave it uh, sufficient to say the apostates. They're not the previous orders. That's about the level of information that we have. They're anti-authoritarian and they're not the orders. Um, but. There may we'll talk about it. Maybe have a segment about how you could use apostates in different stories, and use the uh, the fact that apostates aren't in orders in order to motivate certain stories. But we'll have to decide whether that's worth a whole segment later. But for now, we have completed our discussion of the fir- the set of the organized orders in Invisible Sun. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at Dr. Scott Robinson on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We hear it helps people find the show. Uh, or tell a friend about the show, and that would be another great way to help us out. Thanks. <laughs>